hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Bruce Monk, recorded at Equipus Church, Dunedin. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com. But we're just going to pray. Father, again, we just thank you again for your presence. We, we know that without your anointing Holy Spirit, we will never achieve what you've placed in every one of our hearts. We know that we could never do what we're called to do without your presence. We know that you are our teacher. You're our counsellor. You're our guide. You're our friend. You are the anointed one who makes Jesus incredibly real. And we prophesy that. We speak that tonight. And we just look forward to that encounter with you that's able to transform us from one place to another. And I speak that transforming power tonight in the name of Jesus. This touch every life, every person, that we would leave this place knowing that we're being encountered by the Spirit of God in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Turn around and give a couple of people a good high five and then take a seat. Very good. Don't know what's happened with my stupid iPad, but anyhow, I should. My normal way is just bang it, and it somehow goes right. But it's probably not a good techno way to do it. But again, great uh, this morning, just ministering on the subject of being welcomed home, more to the church, and just creating that home warming, home welcoming feel. I believe it's quite prophetic or a direction for the church. But tonight I want to just take a different area. It's probably more ministering into yours and my life. And it sounds like a lofty title, but when you understand it and when you get hold of it, you'll see how God works. I just basically called it Attitudes to Greatness. And often we look in, in our, our journey with Jesus and we, we fail to see that his, his desire is that every one of us be great. And that's his, that's his plan, that's his purpose. But when, where, the, where we really struggle, you and I, uh, we struggle, is that, that God's counterintuitive. And so what we would see as a path to greatness, he sees it totally different. Uh, it, it's sort of opposite to the way you think. And tonight I want to minister into that because the sooner we understand how God works, we are able to really go on this amazing journey where God is able to take, what we, which is, I think, 99.5% of us, just normal, ordinary people, He's able to make us incredibly great to, that we might display His splendour, His glory and trust to us. And I pray that somehow that will be seeded strong within your life tonight in the name of Jesus. In our church in Auckland, my wife Helen, some of you know her, but she's taken over the children's ministry and uh, she continues just to tell me the wonderful things that God is doing with the children in the Auckland church. And she just said at lunchtime, after lunch, when I, I rang her, she said, I think, I think we've just got an amazing move of God with the children. She said today she just saw them praying, just praying for one another, just that they've created this prayer tent and it's run by the kids, and they're praying for one another. And it's just incredibly amazing what God's doing with these little kids' lives. And uh, something's connecting in their heart. Never underestimate the power of God to change children. 
uh, in, in among that, we, we're pretty blessed because there's one of uh, several of our grandchildren and they're getting touched by God. They did a, a theme or a series, she called it Mission Possible. And she just was sitting with uh, this guy, his name's Callum, he's 10 years of age. And she asked him a question without any preparation. She said, Callum, what did you learn from Mission Possible? And here's his answer. It's only 30 seconds long, but I guarantee a lot of you will not be able to respond like this little 10-year-old did. So here's a, here's a response. Hey, Callum, can you tell me what you learned about Mission Possible? So what I've learned is that anything is possible with the power of God and that there's things called physical strength and spiritual strength and that spiritual strength will always overpower physical strength and there's also kingdom sight and normal eyesight and it's like with the physical strength and the spiritual strength, the kingdom sight can see things more clearly and it's able to sort of set you free from your normal sight and be able to see things that you couldn't see before. Yeah, that's what I've learned in Mission Possible. <laughs> Pretty amazing. And uh, we, we, when you look at that, you know, you can see he's an up and budding preacher. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, for, for kids, never underestimate the power of young children to comprehend and never underestimate the power of the Holy Spirit to teach. And he's able to teach us really beyond sometimes our level of maturity, our natural maturity. He's able to take us in places that you and I would never ever think we could achieve or go into. And uh, I, I just pray that there will be just something even in the house here where we just see from the, the babies right through to older people, we nurture and we value what God puts in people's hearts. Amen. And as we do, I think we raise up a generation of champions. We raise up a generation of people who understand what it is to carry something of the glory and the greatness of God. Um, like Desiree and Will, I'm not sure of any others, but we went to, Helen and I went to Israel last year and, uh, the, uh, and we found it really blessing. But one thing I did learn is that the symbols that we sometimes hold as Christians was not the symbol of the early church. Uh, so we would look, and this came after the resurrection of Jesus, one of the major symbols is a cross that we would wear and the cross is a, a sign, I pray, of the resurrection of Christ. I like the cross where Jesus is not on it because he's no longer on it. He died and he was delivered and he rose from the dead. And the other symbol which is often used to characterize Christianity is the fish. You often see it and, and it comes from that, we've called you to be fishers of men. But that, those two symbols, definitely the cross wasn't there in the time of Christ. It came afterwards. But the major symbol that the Christian, early Christian church used was actually an anchor. And they, the, the, the Christian church was not birthed in an environment of peace. It was actually birthed in a, an environment of massive pressure, uh, persecution. Uh, they were under constant pressure. From, from the Roman Empire, but even the, the religious leaders of the time, Caiaphas, everybody was against the Christians. They were trying to, they were trying to dismantle this man, Jesus. They wanted, they, they wanted to try and squash it. They wanted to try and grieve the spirit of it, but they couldn't do it. But the Christian church understood the value 
of the anchor because for them, it was a symbol of hope. And the Bible says in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19, it just says, The hope that we have is an anchor of our soul, both sure and steadfast, and which enters the presence behind the veil. And so really what it's saying that for Christians to really succeed in life, you've got to understand that we need an anchor. The anchor holds your soul when you're under pressure. And I often say to people jokingly, the best prophecy I can give you is thus saith the Lord, you're going to have pressure. (laughs) Because you can't navigate life without pressure. Talking to our gym man over here, he would understand physically, you can't get fit without pressure. True. So we need pressure against our body to, to gain physical fitness. That's how we achieve muscles. But that's the same in the soul. God's got it. God allows pressure to come against you. There's no prescription to pressure. He will bring something to Willie that will be different to Jake. He will do different things to different people. So there's no prescription. You can't say this is what's going to happen to you. God knows your weakness and He knows where He needs to make you stronger. And He will bring pressure against you. And the reason why the early church had the symbol of the anchor is that they had to learn that when the tide changes, they've got to put over an anchor so that their life is able to turn and face the change of tide, but they can hold on with security and with hope in their soul. And uh, being a boaty, I like boating, I like fishing. And I've learned that one thing you do is if you you want to at times catch fish, you put over an anchor. And the nature of the anchor is always thrown over at the front of the boat. The moment you put it over, the anchor takes grip. The nose of the boat will turn around to face the tide. It doesn't go with the tide, it faces it, the nose. And so that's the same as you and I. When you're under pressure, what God is looking for is a generation of people who don't go with the tide The tide could be a tide of despair, could be a tide of fear, could be a tide of doubt, it could be a tide of depression, it could be a a tide where you really feel everything is against you. But what the early church learned was, no, no, we're going to throw over the anchor and we're going to turn around and we're going to face this pressure that's against us with hope in our soul, knowing that God has only got it going for a little while because He's trying to develop some strength in our soul so that we're able to navigate life and ultimately we're able to overcome because we navigate it with hope in our heart. Amen. And hope became an incredible part of the early church. Even though they didn't understand what was happening, they had hope that God would turn this around for their good. Amen. And a lot, of, a lot of Christians are very wimpy when pressure comes along. We don't like it. Well, I don't like pressure either. But I've learned to value it. And we need, the church needs to grow up. If we're going to actually influence our environment, we need to see that God creates, envi- creates environments of pressure. And what He's looking for is a group of Christians who will actually turn around, face the pressure, How many are listening tonight? Come on, how many on board? Not many takers? Come on. Pressure will come. Sometimes pressure comes in health. 
Sometimes God will challenge the very thing you think you're good at. Amen, or you're called to, he will actually allow that to come under pressure. Why? Because he's wanting to develop strength of soul where you know you can trust God and you're able to push through. That's counterintuitive. By nature, we actually just go with the tide. It's easier, amen? It's easier. But where does it take you? Fear, depression, doubt, everything. Everything starts to cave in on you. But when you throw over the anchor, and sometimes you just need to stand, put your feet on the ground and say, Jesus, today I'm throwing over the anchor of hope. I'm holding on. Amen. Who am I preaching to tonight? Because I'm coming through this. I'm coming through to the other side. The second part, so you've got this this anchor of hope. The second part of of what God's going to do in our heart is, is the whole area of trust. Trusting God, a person you can't see. And one of the things I like about being older is I've got better at trusting. Amen? I've got better at trusting because God has proven to be faithful. And one of the things I love to say to a younger person, no, no, just hold on. Trust God. Now, I can't, I can't make them trust God, but if I can actually teach them to trust God, they will actually come through the other side. So hope actually gives you the expectation that God's going to turn this around. Amen. He's just put, he's developing you at the moment, but trust is the ability to, to, to just stand there. I trust you, Jesus. I know that you're in control. I wasn't, I've never, I haven't always been good at trusting. When I was a young Christian, uh, I got five prophecies in five weeks in five different locations, and they all said exactly the same thing. And I didn't like it at the start. I thought these people were novices. They didn't know how to prophesy. And what they, what they prophesied was just a verse of Scripture. And the Scripture was found in Proverbs chapter 3, verse 5. It says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding, and all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your steps. When I heard it the first time, I just thought, well, those guys are novice prophets. Why don't they learn to give something a bit meaty? They're just quoting a scripture. And that's how I thought, very arrogant. Then I heard it the next week from a different person. This is a true story. And I thought, wow, they must have gone to the same prophet school. (laughs) Then the third week, I went, oh, (laughs) this is getting a bit too freaky. And then after the fifth week, five weeks in a row, five different locations, Five different people, no one had connected. I thought, oh, I think you're speaking to me. (laughs) And, you know, if I look at my life, one of the great areas that has tripped me up is my own understanding. It's my own logic. It's trying to reason out what God is really wanting to do in my life and through my life if I'd only just but trust Him. And so I've gone on a journey where I've had to learn to trust Him when it doesn't make sense. I've had to learn to trust Him when my logic is really, it's my brain is sort of, no, 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 this can't be. You know, I've got to make it happen. And God says, no, no, you let me happen. You let me work it out. And so I started to develop some key phrases of prayer in my own heart. I would lie down in bed at night 
and I would just say the simple prayer that came from John chapter 5. God, why I sleep, you're working on my behalf. You're bringing things into place that I cannot see. You're working for me. Uh, I trust you. I trust you to work this out. Then I phrased another thing when I was under immense pressure and I just said, Jesus, you will never allow the righteous to be ashamed. Even though there seems to be an evil force against me, which I would want to stand up and I would want to punch its lights out. (laughs) But I'm going to trust you. Because you're not going to allow the righteous to be ashamed. You will work on my behalf. You will bring a conclusion to what I see. And you know, the, the wonderful part for me is I could tell you amazing testimonies of how I've trusted God in the face of what seemingly was impossible, but God has proven His Word. Trust is the ability to hold when it's almost like everything else doesn't make sense. You can't work it out with your own understanding. You can't work it out with your own reasoning. Sometimes you just can't. You've got to trust God. And that's why I started off my message tonight saying that, you know, greatness doesn't come by you trying to become great. It simply comes as counterintuitive. It's it's opposite to everything reason and logic would tell you. And that doesn't mean to say you don't develop reason and logic. It doesn't mean to say if you're a student, come on, do well. Study well, prepare well, prepare your life well. I don't like to tell Desiree that I'm actually quite good at accounting because I wanted her to do it for me. (laughs) But I can do it. I have an understanding, not as good as her. It's not my stream. But I like to tell too many people, but I have an understanding. But it's not my grace. But when you understand your grace, you actually are able to bring around you people who have a grace in a different area. You're able to trust God. You don't have to achieve. You don't have to do it yourself. You don't have to be superhuman. You trust God, amen? And I believe trust is such a powerful area. Another scripture found in the Psalm, Psalm 37 verses three to four, says, trust in the Lord, do good. Amen, that's a good call, isn't it? Do good. Come on, do good in life. Don't be slack. Come on, do good. Come on, do good. Say, do good. Do good good at what you're called to. Do extra for your boss. Come on, do good. Come on, put an effort. Don't be a slob. (laughs) I shouldn't say that, but I just did. (laughs) But don't don't be a slob. Don't don't think everything's going to come to you. You go to it. Do good. And then it goes on. It says, dwell in the land. Dwell in the land. Come on, dwell. Feed on His faithfulness. Sometimes in life, you've just got to dwell in a place. You don't run away from it. You dwell. You know, every home, when you dwell in a home, every home's got its pressures. But you dwell there. You navigate the pressures of life. Every church, every church has got its pressures. Amen? There's no perfect church on the face of the planet. I've had people come up to me and they join our church. This is years ago because I travel around now. But uh, when I was pastoring and they'd come up and they'd join the church and say, wow, you're an amazing preacher. We've never heard anything like it before. You know, they say that because they wanted to stroke my ego. Two years later, they were leaving the church because I didn't feed them. 
No church is perfect. Come on, no church is perfect. But it's the ability to dwell in an environment God places you. Do good, dwell in the land. Come on, feed on His faithfulness. It's about your relationship with Jesus that really counts. Feed on His faithfulness. And do you know what it says? He then will give you the desires of your heart. (laughs) How many have got some secret desires in their heart? Come on. Dwell in the land. I often think that young people, if they just dwell, they might find their mate. (laughs) Just a thought. Instead of running around trying to find one. (laughs) Just come on, just settle down. Settle down. Let let, let them come to you. Let, let, you know, sometimes I think people need to be prayed that their eyes be open. But anyhow, there's another another call. Amen. One guy came up and he's, you know, he's about 30. I was in Slovakia and I met him twice and I think he's 34. And I said to him, because I saw him a year ago, and I said, oh, you're not married yet. He said, I I haven't seen anyone yet. And I said, one thing for sure, you haven't got your eyes open. (laughs) And he said, what do you mean? Well, I said, there's people all around you. (laughs) Open your eyes. So I prayed for him. (laughs) God opened his eyes because sometimes they're there, but we don't see them. Amen? Just a thought, anyhow. I wasn't going to preach about that, but anyhow, it's not a bad. But God's counterintuitive. God works opposite to the way you think. And sometimes we think we've got to strive, but when we trust God, God actually starts working on your behalf beyond what you could understand or comprehend. But it's just simply about dwelling, doing good. Come on, do, do good. Do what God's called you to do and you watch what God will achieve on your behalf. So I just wanted to bring, before I just come to the scripture, Matthew chapter five, I just wanted to establish the importance of hope. Amen, hope, say hope. The next scripture I wanna just take you to is Matthew chapter five. And I gave my heart to the Lord when I was 12, so quite young. But my teenage years were not particularly good and I had a car accident through the influence of too much alcohol. When I was 21 years of age, it became quite a a turning point. God didn't create the accident, but I praise God to this day that he allowed it to happen because I don't think I'd be a preacher without that intervention in my life. And it was like it was a shock. And then at the age of 22, I came to Christ in a fresh, dedicated way. I knew something shifted, both my wife and I, something shifted as we're newly married. And I just had this quest in my heart that I didn't want to become religious, but I wanted to know God. I wanted to know Him personally. Um, I, by by a, a mistake of God, I'm dyslexic. So I struggled. I struggled with reading. I struggled with a whole lot of things, but I declared that I'm not going to let my weakness become my hindrance. I'm going to let God help me in my area of vulnerability. And so out of the area of this fresh fresh quest to know God and out of the vulnerability of my own humanity, I, I just had to pray. I started reading the Bible and I didn't realize when I was younger that even though I am dyslexic, 
I have a photographic memory. And so I started to read the Bible and I started to see things that I'd read. So I had now this memory that was created by a photographic memory that could take me through books of the Bible because I'd read them devotionally and now I could see them. So I don't need notes to preach because I see what I'm going to preach. It's, uh, I think, an amazing gift. I think, why didn't God give it to me at school? <laughs> I could have romped through those exams. You know, I would see the answers, but it didn't happen that way because God left, he left, a, he left a vacuum that only he wanted to fulfill. He wanted to fill it up. So in really, for me, my quest has come out of the emptiness, the vacuum of my heart, the need to really know God and to help me because I shouldn't be, I shouldn't be in an academic role because of my weakness, my vulnerability. But then God helped me. And one of the things that I did as an early Christian, a young Christian, was I just decided, and this might help you, I just decided I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to really study the sermon of Jesus. If Jesus preached a sermon, I reckon that's going to be a good sermon to learn. <laughs> Amen? And so I just read Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. I can see it. I can quote it. I can go through and tell you what's in every chapter because God not only took my vulnerability, but he began to put his word inside me. And so I started to find some of the, the wonders of what Jesus was teaching. He's explaining. Good, good, good thing to do is just go through as a young Christian to study the words of Jesus because because when you look at them, they, they're all about yours and my humanity, things we struggle with. You know, he really hones in on areas of anger and lust and judgment. He brings you to a point where he really tries to challenge your prayer life, what you trust in, the kingdom of God, many different issues. So he goes through it, and I think very powerful. But I just want to pull out just to help you to see how these, these, these thoughts are, again, counterintuitive. So you've got hope. Say hope. hope. Hope is there and it comes like an anchor. Trust is the ability to just trust God even though things don't make sense. Amen? Things don't make sense. But you listen to a couple of these and they all start, the, the, these are called in, in the terms of the writers of the Bible, these are called Matthew, he calls them the Beatitudes. Beatitudes. So attitudes. So I started off with attitudes to greatness. So these are the attitudes. Every attitude that Jesus talks about, he said blessed. So he starts with the word blessing. He doesn't start with a command. He just said blessed is. Blessed. So again, I want you to respond. Come on, I want you to respond. How many want to be blessed? <laughs> I want to be blessed in life. So, so when you look at it, when he says the word blessed, come on, let's take notice. Because on the other side of this attitude is the blessing of life. It's the blessing of life so that we're able to possess what God wants. And the first beatitude or the blessing attitude, he said blessed are the pure in heart. Uh, sorry, blessed are the poor in spirit for they shall receive the kingdom of God. So use this word poor in spirit. Do you know within every single person in this room, there is like a cavity in our life 
that only God can fill. It's like, it's like a, a vacuum. It's like a, a place in your, your spirit. Only God can fill it. You can try and fill it with your, your ability to learn. You can try and fill it with the things you do. You can try and fill it with money. You can try and fill it with relationships. It doesn't matter. I love my wife. I've been married 47 years, but there's still a vacuum in my humanity. She can't fill Money can't fill, qualifications can't fill, nobody can fill, only Jesus can fill, only Jesus. And the moment I acknowledge I've got that cavity, I've got that place in my spirit that only Jesus can meet the requirement of my humanity, then I receive something of the kingdom of God in my life. And the kingdom of God, the Bible says, is righteousness, joy and peace and the Holy Spirit. So the kingdom of God is not nebulous. It's something that is real. It is something that you can know. You can know it within your spirit. And so God, I think the moment we receive uh, Jesus into our life, we're acknowledging and we're saying, God, I need you. I need you. But then on the other side of that, there's still areas within you that only Jesus can fill. He leaves it there. And I thank God, as I said, that I had an area that only Jesus can fill. I often feel like a complete idiot because I watch other people who are incredibly academic and I think, hmm, I don't know, that didn't work for me. But God created the vacuum because he then could become the teacher. And you've got, you got a vacuum in your heart. I can't declare what it is, but every one of us has it. Amen? Everyone has it. And the moment we acknowledge the part that Jesus said, the part that's the poor in spirit, where there's a need in our heart, that's when God can do something special. Another word for it is humility. The area of poor in spirit, they said of Billy Graham, three words I might have said this morning, I don't know, but three words that summarised his life is humility, grace, and those two things go together. You can't have grace without humility and love. Those three things, everybody, I heard many reports characterise the life of Billy Graham. Uh, a lot of you younger people, you might, mightn't have uh, seen him, or, but just this guy, 99 years of age, still preaching when he was 95. The greatest evangelist they say the world has ever seen. 200 million people were somehow touched with the gospel. Pretty real. And, and, and it's worth just looking at his life story because, but they say the, the area that characterized his life, I would add another thing to his life would be integrity. He maintained integrity even though God put him on, the, 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 uh, on platforms of incredible fame. He always maintained. But the humility of heart, come on, humility of heart gave him access to God's grace. And God's grace was able to empower him in the area of his own need. How many need grace? Come on, we all need grace. Grace helps you to become what God's called you to be. We need his grace. You and I need his grace. Come on, musicians, please don't just rely on your talent. Come on, don't. Acknowledge your need of God. 
If we want a church that welcomes people home right from the music, from the dashes, the door, every part of it needs to have the touch of God on it so that we're, we're creating an environment where people are coming home and there's a touch of the Spirit of God in what we do. But it comes out of us saying, wow, I, I need God. Amen? I need God. Uh, and, and it just says simply, blessed are the poor. Say poor in spirit. It's not a sign of weakness. It's actually a sign where you're saying in humility before God, wow, there's an area in me, God, that only you can fill. We need it. And some people are self-promoting. I don't like self-promotion. Let God promote you. But it doesn't come out of pride or arrogance. It comes out of simply saying, God, I need you. The second one, which I think is incredibly powerful, um, where's the guy playing the keyboard? You rush from the back and run up. Um, it's blessed, and I like this, I'm just pulling out a couple. Blessed are the, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the meek. I saw a guy, I thought he would probably be all right for me. A guy, he had a little sort of ponytail at the top. Where is he? Would you, would you mind coming up here, would you? Uh, I'm sort of looking for someone. Yeah, you need to come on stage. Do you mind? Do you mind? No, you don't mind, do you? Good. I'm sort of looking. Probably a bit heavier than I thought, actually. <laughs> but anyhow, I'll give it a go. <laughs> right. Yeah, blessed are the, the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So, so, so when you hear the word meekness, you often think of the word weakness. But meekness in the Bible is never weakness. Meekness in the Bible is when God entrusts to us incredible power, but we control it with meekness. And so would you just come quickly, hold my microphone. I've got to change you. You're a bit skinnier than me. <laughs> <laughs> So, so, so you really just, just move out of the way. So, so meekness is the ability to live. Right. You didn't expect that, did you? So, so, so I had power, but I didn't control it. Need a microphone, that's what you're here for. You've been lazy. Come back up again, I'll do this kinder. So, this time. So, so meekness is the ability to lift let them down here. Yeah. <laughs> you can go, did I hurt you? No, you're tough. Yeah. But I, del- I deliberately dropped him, but I didn't think he would hurt himself. But, he... <laughs> but, but often, you know, you're in life, people can have a lot of power, but they don't know how to control what God's given to them. And what will change the world is not power out of control. It's the ability to have God's power, but know that God's entrusted to you incredible power, but you're able to, you're able to handle it with meekness. That's what will change the world. It's not arrogance. It's not power out of control. It's the ability to know that God has entrusted to you something. You know, whenever I think, 
Whenever I think of what God has given to me, He's given to you. The same God who dwells in you is the same God that created the universe by the word of His mouth. He dwells in you. And He said, I've given you my authority. He's given you authority to cast out demons, to speak into life things that don't exist. He's given you the power to lay hands on sick people that they would be healed. He's given you the power to prophetically see into the future. He's given you the power to do something that is supernatural, it's extraordinary, but it doesn't need to be spooky. It's just simply you knowing that God has entrusted to you a supernatural source. And God wants to be glorified through your life. And do you know the amazing thing with God is that He can still entrust His power to people who are still vulnerable. They're not perfect. Not not perfect, like horrible story. I, I shouldn't really tell it, but I can have an argument with Helen in the car, unresolved at church. She's sitting there saying, oh, you hypocrite. But I'm up on stage preaching so anointedly that people come to Christ. So it's not on the, even on the basis, and I was probably wrong. And she's sitting there thinking, I know you're wrong. What are you doing? It's like, you know what I mean? But yet God still uses us. So it's not on the basis of how, how great or how perfect you are, but really God entrusting you and I, I, I just think there's amazing power. Amazing power. That if only we would use it, not with force, but with an attitude of meekness. See, that's counterintuitive, isn't it? You know, with weightlifting, you you can lift weights up. It's so easy. I can't do this. Perhaps you should come and demonstrate. But yeah, you can lift them up and get them to here. What do you do next? And then you go, sort of, (laughs) do they look good? (laughs) But I've never seen anyone put it down. They always drop it. But I reckon take more power actually to, now I've got to get it down and put it on the ground gently. That'd take, more, that'd take more control probably than getting it up there. That's meekness. The ability to have incredible power, but to control it with a heart of meekness. And the Bible says, you know, Jesus' own words, counterintuitive, He says, they are the people who will inherit the earth. They'll change the world. It's not the, 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 the people who are arrogant and proudful and it's the people who really understand how God works how God works and that doesn't change overnight but God changes our hearts so that we're able to carry what he's entrusted to our life amen and I pray tonight if you're young here you know it doesn't change overnight but God does change us and another thought is the Bible says blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. It's pretty amazing. It's not a purity out of law. 
and it's simply a purity that acknowledges that God, only your blood can cover the areas of weakness of my humanity and only your grace can give me the power to live above my struggles. Amen. But it's a pure in heart. It's not the intelligent who see God. I've met people and, you know, I say this and I'm not putting them down because I love it. I love people like Steve Graham who just when he preaches and his understanding and his gift mix just make me write sermons. I can get 10 sermons out of his one. And Peter Prothero, I sit there and I listen because they've got a gift. God's trained them. So I'm not talking about that. But I've met some people who have a doctor of theology who are idiots. Just straight out idiots. And you might think I'm being rude. I'm not. They're theological nerds. And if I looked at their life, I'd never be inspired to follow them. They can argue about something, but really when it comes to living it, they really don't know. And I want to know God. I don't want to know about Him. Amen. I want a theology that is real. I want a theology that lives. It's a theology that changes my heart. I want people to be able to teach me how to live this life and get closer to Jesus. I don't want someone to argue with me about the rights and wrongs. I want someone who can bring me into a revelation of who God is. And the Bible says, blessed are the pure, not the intelligent, but the pure in heart because they're able to see something of God. And I was always inspired by the thought of John the Baptist when John was baptising people in the Jordan River and Jesus comes along and he, he walks down the hill, down the bank, not a high bank, but he's coming down, crowds of people and John's baptising people and then he just looks up and he looks at Jesus and he said, behold, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And I often think of that because John, you know, John's no different to Jason. Sometimes we, we sort of make these people something who were super saints. But they, they're like you and I. But in their day, they obeyed what God had put on their life to do. But his eyes were open. His eyes were open. Jesus didn't walk down the, the down the hill. Perhaps if he's in our day, he might walk down with a t-shirt and some denims. I don't know. He walked down. He was no different in his humanity than anyone else. But Jesus saw, uh, John saw through. He had the ability to see through and acknowledge who he was. He was said, even before I existed, he was. Now that sounds like a very profound statement. Even before I existed, I was. <laughs> Even before I existed, he was getting right. So, so what are you saying is, John the Baptist was older than Jesus. But he said, before I existed, he was. How did he see that? He saw. 
You had the ability to see because there was something in his heart that was open to be able to see something of God. Amen? Something of God. And come on, Equippers Dunedin, we don't just want a church. We want to learn. We want to learn. But we want to be able to see. Come on, say see. I want to see God. I want to, I want to know God intuitively in my heart. I want something of the presence of God to touch my humanity. See, see, amazing, isn't that counterintuitive? You think, the more I know, the more I'll see. No, no. The more you know the purity of God working in your heart, the greater your ability to see God and what He wants to do. When you read the Bible, somehow it just opens up. It's, it's, got, it's got meaning. I can remember, you know, reading the Bible and my initial thought, reading the New Testament, you might, I'm not sure whether you've ever, I thought Jesus was arrogant. I thought, who, who does he think he is? <laughs> but I didn't have the Holy Spirit. The moment I had the Holy Spirit was like, I read the Bible and my eyes and my heart were open to see something I'd never seen before. Just to finish with, blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers, not peacekeepers. You know, get in the Arab-speaking countries, you get all these people who are going in to try and keep be peacekeepers. That's just rubbish. Because they're never really going to the root of the problem. Never going to the root of the problem. The problem, the problems existed for thousands of years. It's a root problem. You can't keep peace where there's a, a weakness in the ground. You can't do it. Helen and I, one of our values is that we just simply say, nothing goes under the carpet. That's why we've got a good marriage. I think she knows all about me. <laughs> I know all about her. Every now and again, we have to have an argument. Amen? Do you know that? <laughs> I shouldn't break fully out, should I? <laughs> but you do. Come on, don't you, Jack? You're going to have an argument. Come on, why? Because you know you're two people with differences. No, 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 argument to destroy one another's character. There are an argument based around issues that you don't agree on. But if you try and assassinate one another, you actually, in the end, end up in trouble. But Jesus said, no, no, if you really want to live a good life, you want to be known as a son or a daughter of God, you've got to be a peacemaker. You've got to make peace. That's how you have a good marriage. You don't have a good marriage by thinking, oh, no, we'll put that away. We, 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 won't, we won't address that issue. Now, come on, you've got to address issues. Come on, young people, you've got to address issues. You don't kill one another in the process, <laughs> but you've got to address issues. Why? Because issues, if you don't deal with the root problems, the root issues in your life, you'll find that eventually they will rob your peace. And then you become suspicious with one another. And even in church culture, come on, we, we need to walk with integrity. And as I come to a close tonight, you think of Jesus when He came to earth and He lived for 33 years, but then He went to the cross and He willingly went to the cross. He knew that He was destined to go to the cross. 
I like the story in the film of the Passion that when he was being flogged and beaten, he fell off that block. If anyone's ever seen it, and he couldn't take the pressure in his humanity, and he dropped to the ground. But then he willingly stood up and put himself on that block again. He willingly put himself on the cross. It wasn't a cross where he was devoid of pain. And the difference between the cross that Jesus hung on and many other people hung on before him was that when he hung on the cross, your sin, Tammy's sin, my sin, everything that had come against me, my humanity, everything that was set to destroy me, Jesus became our peacemaker. He became our peacemaker. He took upon Himself he took it upon himself. He said, no, no, I will take. I will take your strife. I will take your burden. I will take your sin. I will take your iniquity. I will take every curse that has ever been against you. I will take it upon myself. I will stand in the gap of you and my Father in heaven. I will stand there. I will become the peacemaker of your broken humanity. That's what makes the difference. Many were crucified, but only the Son of God became a peacemaker between man and God. He took it upon Himself. He bridged the gap. And that's why the Gospel of Jesus Christ is so powerful. It's not just another story. It is the Gospel of Jesus where He paid the price of our iniquity, our sin, our trauma, our shame, our disease. He said, God, I'll take it upon myself. I'll bridge the gap so that you and I could stand before a Heavenly Father and know the power of His love and forgiveness something that we would never deserve but that we receive through Jesus. Never ever lose the impact of that. If you've been born again as a young people, let the reality of that come alive in your spirit because that's what holds us close to the throne of grace. It holds us in a place where we understand that how much we needed the peacemaker. Boy, it helps me to say I want to be a peacemaker in life. Amen. I don't have to take my sin. I don't have to take your shame. But I can lead you to a person who can. And today I pray that there'll be something. See, see greatness is counterintuitive. It doesn't work the way you and I have been taught. Pressure will come you need hope. Amen. Come on, what are you going to do when you're under pressure? Come on, put the anger in you. Just say, okay, God, I'm not going with the current right now. I'm just going to hold. Amen. Say hold. Come on, say hold. I'm going to hold. You're going to trust. 
But never underestimate the power of that vacuum in your humanity, those areas of need. My wife, I married her. It's amazing how God put you with people. So she didn't get under 90. In those days, it was called school certificate. She excelled in everything. She's super intelligent. She married a dyslexic. But she became my teacher. So God helped me in my vulnerability and weakness by putting someone next to me who could help me and never condemn me. But she was a fearful girl. I have a wee bit of a grace of being bold. (laughs) So she married someone who would help her in her fears and her timidity that would help her to stand up and become everything that God had called her to be. Isn't that amazing? And that's why you need you need marriage, but you need church. Because church helps you to become everything that God wants you to be. He puts people around you who can help you in your weaknesses and your deficiencies. But God touches you in your life. When you when you start to understand, I, I call it the rhythm of Christianity, the rhythm of a life lived with Jesus. I often think, who would not want to be a Christian? i got to go to the airport in a minute, but i got to close it up. Just stand with me tonight. Lift up your hands. Thank you for listening to this message recorded at Equipus Church Dunedin. We pray it blessed you. For more information, please visit equipuschurch.com.